Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 through 6. So uh, last week we looked at Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, and that was basically talking about running the race. Part of running the race is that we do this with help. We have witnesses that help us in our journey, and many of you guys and gals out there have had uh, people that have mentored you, that have helped you along uh, the road of life in the Christian life. We're to remove those things that would hinder us, sin that so e easily entangles us, and that we're to run the race. And secondly, we looked at focusing on Jesus. He is the founder. When Christ came to this earth, he ushered in a new era, an era that would be by grace, an era that would be by love and would be paid for by Jesus Christ on the cross. He was victorious. He is now reigning at the right hand of the Father. So in that context, I think what here is really the writer of Hebrews is trying to say, look, maybe some of you are questioning God's love for you. It takes a while to get there, and we'll unpack this as I go along, but uh, probably doubting if bad things are happening to me because of my Christian walk, then that probably negates God's love for me. Some people take this to the extreme, and they say, well, if bad things are happening to me, God does not love me, and he is punishing me. And the writer of Hebrews is telling these these Jewish, his Jewish audience, that nothing could be further from the truth. And so there's also within this text the idea that somehow my suffering is more than what Jesus suffered. And so it's oftentimes difficult, particularly when you and I are going through hardships because of our Christian faith, it is difficult for us to understand that Christ had the most supreme sacrifice. He was the one that suffered, and then we are to follow that example. So first and foremost, we want to look at follow Jesus' example. Notice here in verse 3, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. Hupomeno, that word endured, means to bear up under difficult circumstances and situations. When you go back and you read the Gospels and you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus endured a lot of stuff. There were always in the background somewhere Pharisees, Sadducees, lawyers, all trying to trip Jesus up. They were always there. Who is this man that goes eat with sinners? Doesn't he know that's a tax collector? And so they're always pushing back on Jesus. He's always under, if you would say it this way, always under a theological microscope in which he is testing the boundaries and pushing the boundaries. And this is exactly what Jesus' ministry was. It was saying to the religious elite of the day, the way that God did things in the Old Testament is going to come over in the New Testament, but in a radical way. And they, the system was corrupt. 
for the most part. There, there were religious leaders of Jesus' day that were not corrupt, but they were not many. And so when we think about the persecution, we have to think about what Jesus endured. He endured not only physical assault, but he also endured physical assault. And this came at the hands of sinners. Harmartos laws. Harmartos laws. Sinful behavior of those who came against him. And so when we think about, in the context, when we think about when we are in the world and we are telling people about Christ and we get pushback, it is coming from people who do not know Christ. And Jesus... Uh, had to do this in his earthly ministry, he had to come against those who did not know him, did not recognize that he was the son of God. And they would, and this was coming from people who don't know Christ. Listen, not everybody outside the church doors knows Jesus. And so when persecution comes against you in whatever form it is, you have to realize that the source is their unbelief. And so that changes our perspective, and that's exactly what the writer is doing here. Uh, antilogia, which is the word for hostility, and that means disputes, and I'm pulling this right from the Greek, disputes with those who are not saved. It's easy to forget. We look at the person, and we say, that person is vile towards me. But here's the reality. It's not the person, it is what is inside the person. And so Satan is behind this. And so uh, Jesus lives his life, and they're trying to trip Jesus up. They're, they're harassing him verbally. They're, they're questioning his teachings. Um, who is this man? And just on and on and on and on. And Jesus had to endure this. Consider him who endured sinners of such hostility against him. And the ultimate, the ultimate price was when Jesus carried his own cross to Calvary. And so we have a tendency, I, I think, and I think we do at times, we have a tendency to think that our suffering that we go through, and I, I dealt with it when I was in the army. I was made fun of. I did all those things. And... Uh, all those things came against me, and, and, and you look at this verse today, and he's saying, look, you haven't gone to the extreme that Jesus did. Jesus gave his life so that we might have life. His life was exchanged for ours. And so when we think about this suffering at the hands of sinners, nobody knows that better than Jesus. He endured it and then eventually went to the cross. And then you'll notice here in verse 3b, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Let me remind us this morning of 2 Timothy 3.12. All who seek to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. You can write it down in, in maybe small forms, maybe large forms. We will endure suffering because they don't like Jesus. And because they don't like Jesus, they're not going to like you and me. And so I was, when I was a young Christian, I was like surprised about this. It was 
surprising to me. Why, why, wouldn't, why, why wouldn't you want salvation? And I was really shocked. And then, of course, I grew up pretty quick to realize that when you call on the name of Jesus, you're going to be persecuted. But I want to remind us, our persecution, our persecution does not reach to the level of what Jesus endured. And so whatever level of persecution that we're going through, if you want to really know persecution, go to the Middle East. That's where persecution's really taken place. Our brothers and sisters in the Middle East are enduring all kinds of things. So that you may not grow weary, calm no. That means to be ill, but ultimately means to be worn out. I, I don't know about you, but this, this thing of being worn out, um, you know, I, I only watch one hour news a day. And that's while I'm eating lunch, and maybe I should change that. I don't know, because it upsets my stomach sometimes. Stuff like this. Keep your religion out of my government. <clears throat> when I think about this, do you know if you just look at, I had a quarter and I forgot to bring it. On the back of the quarter, it says, in God we trust. Our nation was founded on Christian principles. Not all of the founders were Christian. Some of them were, were deist and other things, but there were enough Christians on which our country was founded. So the real issue, and I want to step in politically here just for a minute. So as believers in America, we have the right to pray for our government. We also have the right to install Christians into that government. The way that you change government is not through political movements, but through spiritual movements within the body of the government. And so when, when I see stuff like this, and, and I think about being called fascist or uh, homophobic and all these things, it gets tiring, doesn't it? And sometimes we get so weary of it. But the good news here is that in the end, we are going to win, and we can stay the course, and we cannot be faint-hearted. Suke, I like that word, suke, can mean inner self or to become discouraged and lose heart. And there's so much in our culture today, financially, physically, spiritually, emotionally, all of these things come into play. And when I look at our culture today, brothers and sisters, that's Southern Baptist term, by the way, brothers and sisters, this is as worse as I've ever seen it. What is happening in our culture and in our country is enough to wear us down. And Christians are starting now, I think, and it's going to maybe expand. Christians are going to be in trouble in the next 10 years if things do not turn around in our country, which was founded upon the principles of God. And it is enough, trust me, it is enough to get faint-hearted and become discouraged and, and fed up with things. But let me encourage you this morning to pray for your government. Pray for the leaders of the government. Pray that, I don't think, I honestly do not believe, based on our freedoms as America, that Christians just put their heads in the sand and let things happen. We need to start praying for real Christian leaders to step up 
and become senators and congressmen and run for places of uh, positions in a government and local governments to pray for those. That's how things will ultimately begin to change. Not perfectly, because no system's perfect. But as believers, we have that opportunity to pray. Now here, uh, he's saying, look, look at Christ, look at what he endured, and don't become weary and ultimately discouraged and give up. Because that's what Satan wants. He wants you to stop your Christian run. He wants you to give up. He wants you to quit. And therefore, he would win in some sense. Ultimately, <laughs> ultimately he's going to lose big time. David Allen, in his commentary, writes this. The stress of persecution was taking its toll on the Christian community. They were in danger of growing spiritually fatigued and discouraged and needed to be braced to press on in the Christian life. You know, church is important. I, I know many don't think it is. But church is very, very, very important. Do you know what this is? This is basically, if I could put it this way, it's not perfect, but I'll put it this way. This is the locker room where you come and grow with other believers so that you can go out into the world and you can affect the culture in which you live. Lovingly, carefully, methodically witness to people. Uh, most of the people in my astronomy club now, they know that I'm a pastor. And I've met a couple of Christians in our group. And so when you go out, we come here to get pumped up and to get together and to grow together so that it will make us stronger when we go out into the world. Church is important. And we've already looked at this one. Uh, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Let us consider how we may spur one another towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as are some in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as we see the day approaching. This is where we come together as believers, and we say, I'm having trouble here, and somebody in our group will say, let me pray for you, and we put hands on them, and we pray for them. This is where we come to get encouragement, so when we go into a world that is discouraging, we're able to stay the course and steadfast in our Christian faith and share the gospel. And again, let me caution us, because sometimes I get frustrated too. But listen, no matter what comes against us, it was against Jesus first. And we are the outflow of Jesus' suffering. And therefore, when we engage with a lost world, we do it not with a harsh tone, but with a loving tone. And we share with them the gospel. And I get it. Some people are still going to come against you. And, and they're going to be mean, and they're going to be harsh. And so you know what you do at that point? Say, I'm not going to bother you anymore with this. I'm not going to uh, uh, cause you any more hardship. I just want you to know that I'm praying for you. And again, as the writer's saying here, look, <laughs> our suffering has not outweighed 
or out overtaken Jesus's suffering. And we'll look at the struggle here in verse 4. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted yet to the point of shedding your own blood. You have not. You look at Jesus's suffering. It's nothing compared to what he went through. How many of you have been beaten with a lash? Just a show of hands. How many of you have been spit on? How many of you have been hit? One. But ultimately, none of our suffering eclipses Jesus' suffering. And that should be encouragement. Atagonizomai, intense struggle against something. Sin harmartia, which is a state of sinfulness. And you know what? <laughs> Y'all do realize that you're redeemed sinners. All of us were sinners before we came to Christ. And guess what? We are saved sinners now. And so it should not shock us, it should not overwhelm us that the world in which we live is sinful. Look at what is going on. 95% of the shows on television you can't even watch. I'm watching stuff from the 50s and 60s now, most of it. It's right out evil. There is evil, pervasive evil in our government. And the Christian church needs to start praying. We need to be actively praying. Now, when we think about sinfulness, and we just had a birth this week. And Mary's home, by, by the way. She's, she's back. She's home. But it's a reminder, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. That qualifies everybody to be saved. And that comes from Psalm 51.5. And remind us that sin is pervasive in our culture, because we have to go all the way back, Romans 5.12, therefore just as sin came through the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men, because all have sinned. We live in a fallen world. And Jesus came to this fallen world with a message of hope, grace, love, forgiveness. And he was met with staunch resistance. But in that resistance decided, well, it was decided before the foundations of the world, that Jesus would go to the cross and pay for our sins. It should not shock us that people act sinful. Why? Because they're sinners. And they do not have the love of Christ in their hearts. The culture in which we live, you have not yet, rewording here, you have not yet resisted to the point of bloodshed. He's saying here, look, whatever's happening to you, Jesus had it worse. Jesus had it worse than you did. And in a sense... When you look at Jesus and you look at what he endured, you could say, you know what? Jesus endured that. I can endure this. He's my example. He's your example. 
And so we look to Jesus. The author said it in verse 2. Fix your eyes upon Jesus, the founder of our faith. Look to him in times of difficulty and struggle and hardship. Thomas Lay, in his commentary, writes this. None of them had suffered martyrdom. If you're dead, please let me know. You're not. Their suffering had by no means reached the severity of those that Jesus endured. This implies that they had not, on, uh, not truly shown serious commitment in their resistance to the sin of apostasy. Others had remained faithful to Jesus in face of far worse sufferings than theirs. You know, if you study the history of the church, if you go back and you study the history of the church, from the time of Christ, you'll find that there were all kinds of persecutions and wars and struggles against Christians. In the Middle East, Christians are being hunted down. They're being killed. You think about Israel, God's chosen people. And what happened October 7th was an abomination. God's people. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting and fascinating that God's people throughout the history of Israel have been persecuted? And yet from this people of God, he raised up Christians, us, that claim the name of Christ. And we go out and we share the good news of the kingdom of God. Yeah, you just got to remember that whatever we endure, whatever we suffer, it does not eclipse what Jesus did. So we follow Jesus' example and we learn from discipline. I like that word, amnesia. You all know what amnesia is, right? That stuff that I get ever so often. Now, who's your name? <laughs> Forget stuff. Uh, and as you get older, of course, you get more amnesia, right? We got some hands up, testimonies. But he goes to the heart of the matter, because in the midst of this persecution and suffering, in the midst of suffering and persecution, God is doing something. Listen, nothing is wasted in the kingdom of God. Nothing. How we look at what is happening to us determines what we believe about God. And we need to get a different perspective. And this is what the author is saying here. You know, Jesus suffered. Look to him. Look to his example. Examine his life. And by the way, when it happens, God has a purpose. Listen, God has a purpose for everything. God raises up governments and he brings down governments. If I didn't believe that and know that God was in control of this ultimately, I would go nuts. But God is in control. He has a purpose for everything that happens in our lives. He has a purpose. And so we are with, we are with purpose. Now notice, and you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. <laughs> We're his children. 
We're God's children. We have entered a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. He gave us the promise of the Holy Spirit in, in Acts 1.8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And Paul writes in Galatians, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. We are in a personal relationship with God. You are sons and daughters. Those of you that have trusted in Christ, you are sons and daughters of the king on high. Now think of it. You are now in a relationship with God. You are his child. Whether you're a woman or whether you're a man or whether you're an adolescent or whether you're a child. If you've come to saving faith, he says, you've forgotten that. You have forgotten that. This is a very big word, forgotten. Eklanthanomai. Eklanthanomai. To forget completely. And it literally means to forget entirely. You know, if, if you're a child of God, you cannot forget that you're a child of God. And that I, I, I honestly believe this, every fiber of my being, that everything that happens to us, God already knows. And there's a purpose for why things happen to us. And you think, well, how can God do that? Because he's God. God is all-knowing, he's all-powerful, he's ever aware of what's going on around us. It's not like God says, I'll be back in 15 minutes. No, he sees everything that happens in your life, and I can tell you, and this gives us a better perspective. If stuff is coming against me, then I need to learn from it. Then I need to go, wait a minute, God's trying to teach me something. He gets right into it right here. And learn from discipline. And so he says, look, you guys have amnesia. You forgot who you are. For those of Jews that were saved that he was addressing, some were not saved. Um, I like John MacArthur's quote. The Jews in the New Testament time had forgotten things about the Old Testament. They had forgotten that God had never been pleased with anything apart from faith. And uh, if you want to see faith, go back and look at chapter 11. There's tons of people in the Old Testament by faith, by faith, by faith. God's always been pleased by faith. And they had forgotten that many of his choicest saints had suffered greatly for their faith. You know one of the toughest jobs in the Old Testament would be a prophet. There's a lot of them. A lot of prophets that struggled. I would say go back and read the Old Testament, start with Genesis and maybe work through, but <laughs> the issue is that they had forgotten. Let me let me say this. If you're not in this, you will forget it. You need to set aside time every day. I'm very fortunate, very, very fortunate. I get to go into God's Word and I look up the original languages. And so I'm in it all the time. But if you're not in the word, you're not growing and you're not being grounded in the word. 
And of course, when things come against you, why is God messing with me? I heard that on Twitter this week. I can't believe God allows this. And it was really something very simple. What they're really trying to do is switch the focus to it's God's problem, not mine. So many people, and by the way, my Sunday school class starts uh, the real God today and how we look at God and what we've made God to be in our own lives, which I think is a very good series. Well, let's get to this. God's love. My son or daughters, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. Do you know where the writer gets this from? That's how you know he's Hebrew, Jewish. He gets it from Proverbs 3, 11, and 12. My son, do not... Uh, my son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth. That's King James Version, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Even as a father, the son in whom he delights. Do not regard God's discipline lightly. Oligoro. Allegro. And that means to view with contempt. I don't know why you're messing with me, but I don't like it. Right? And I'm telling you, everything that happens to us, God has a purpose for. Your steps are ordered by the Lord. Did you know that? And so whatever we happen to step in, God is very much aware of it. He hasn't gone to the refrigerator and said, I'll be back in 15 minutes. Fend for yourself. God has a plan for your life and mine. And so we, if we look at it from that perspective, if we look at it from that perspective, it changes the way that we view our situation. These Jews here were, oh, things are so terrible. We've been persecuted so much. And Wait a minute. None of you have endured what Jesus endured, and you've forgotten who you belong to. You belong to Jesus Christ. Do you know who Jesus Christ is? He is going to subdue this world someday. You are an heir to the throne of God. You are a child of God. You have within you the power of the Holy Spirit, and nothing can come against you that God hasn't allowed. Don't view what happens to us or you, me or you, in our lives with contempt, discipline, paideia, to provide instruction. You've taken earthly father. Sometimes, you know what, kids need to be corrected. Do you know that? Kind of a funny story. I remember one time I was getting ready to spank Holly and she's running around like this. <laughs> I didn't spank them often, but when I did, they knew I was serious. 
sometimes fathers or mothers will have to discipline their children. Why do you discipline? So that they learn not to do that. Or learn that I shouldn't do this or shouldn't do that. Or, you know, Friday, just a second, I need a little sip of coffee. Friday, I went with uh, three other guys from our astronomy group, and we went to one of the local schools in Champaign-Urbana. And I'm having this pocket, I guess the best way to describe it, pocket solar system. That's what I was supposed to do. Strips of paper like this and had the kids fold them and then they would put planets in each of those spots. And I also have, was given uh, glasses so the kids could look through those, through those glasses and they could see all these different colors. One girl looked at me and said, I like these glasses. I said, well, I'm glad you do. She said, they're mine now. I said, actually, because we have two more cycles coming through, you need to put those glasses back. Nope. They're mine. And she started walking off, and you know what happened? The teacher said, put those glasses back now. She walked back over, and she put the glasses back. She did what I wanted to do. But I'm not in that system. I was there to show them. And most of the kids, most of the kids were really good. But some of them pushing their way through and I'm going to be first. Oh, boy. I wish I was a teacher so bad sometimes. Your kids sometimes need discipline. But guess what? So do we. There's, there's times when we need to be taught by God. Weary when reproved, do not lose heart. And, and think of it, picture that being God and that being us. There's been a lot of times in my life, and I can think of moments in time, and then I got to finish this up. One, one day I was in Hawaii, and there was a Muslim in our group. And this, I wish I could go back and kind of redo this, refocus it. I was a young Christian. I was a little loud. He was sitting on the bench, a picnic table, if you will, outside, and he had his turban on. And he was facing, I think it's Mecca, right? Facing to Mecca. And he was praying. And sarcastically, I walked by and I said, you getting any answers? He was the same rank I was. So he said, yeah. And I said, no, you're not. You're praying to a false god. And I went right into the day room. Yeah. Maybe that wasn't the right thing to do. Because he was the supply sergeant. <laughs> and it wasn't a good thing. To, not just for that, but it, it, it wasn't a good witness. Yes, it's true. He was praying to a false god. 
Not the God that we worship. But the way that I said it, I could have said it better. And uh, we had a grand old time the rest of my time in Hawaii. And I was too stubborn. I didn't want to go, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Ah, somewhere along the line, God got me back. And he taught me that you shouldn't do that. In my defense, I was young and dumb. But I look back now and I go, you know what? That's not the way to witness. That's, there's some things that are wrong and they will always be wrong. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Thomas Lay writes this, we should not see trials as a cause for discouragement. And please, I want you to be encouraged today. But as a sign of God's determined love, we must reflect on long-term benefits of our trials and recognize that discipline represents God's method of developing our maturity. We must respond to the afflictions by searching out the faults or failures that hinder our spiritual growth. Look, I can confidently say this morning that when we go through things, instead of going, God's messing with me, take a step back and go, God, what are you trying to teach me? That's a different perspective. That's a different way of viewing things. And say, okay, I want to learn from this. Because I know, I know, and I get it, when you get persecuted, you want to lash out. I totally get it. But maybe just... Maybe just turn the other cheek. It's okay to take one for the team. And in taking one from, for the team, the person that is abusive might see the error of their way. Wait a minute. I said this about you. I hit you. I did all this, and you're not going to come back at me? That might get them to think about why is he doing that? And they might be saved. In closing, let me say, when we go through hardship, God loves us. Follow Jesus' example always. You will encounter hardship. And this is maybe not part of the text, but just love people. Love them enough to say, you know what, I'm not going to respond in kind. With whatever they responded to me, I'm going to respond different. And I get it, it's difficult to do that. Sometimes you have to turn the other cheek 12 times. Discipline proves that God loves us. 
those of you that are parents, grandparents, when you discipline your kids or grandkids, do you love them? Of course you do. You love them and you want to correct them and say this is the proper behavior and that's all that God is doing, at least as I can see from the discipline end. Anyway, don't doubt God's love. 